0: everybody, and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. I'm here with Jillian McGarry, and she is the owner of Mostly Made. And Jillian has been on the podcast, boy, I think at least twice. And what I love about you, Jillian, is you're always like reinventing your product and your packaging and in this eternal quest to try to like find exactly what sticks. And I love talking to you because you're
1: always very transparent. Well, that's sort of the game that we're playing right now, right? It's figure out the path, the formula, uh, what's going to resonate with consumers and what's going to actually sell off the shelf. And that's that's kind of the journey we're on right now.
0: So just to give everybody, give everybody your elevator speech to catch them up on what Mostly Made is in case they're new to the program.
1: Yeah, so we have a line of fresh meal starters that simplify home cooking. So we're a smart and easy home style meal solution.
0: And people originally you started in the uh refrigerated
1: section, frozen. So we okay. launched in frozen, yeah, with frozen product. Um just started, you know, kind of small. The idea Began as a better way to bring meals to my sister-in-law when she was going through treatment for breast cancer. The big pans didn't fit in her freezer, so I realized if I made, you know, mostly made that filling, they could they could get it together quickly for an easy meal. Um, but yeah, we started out in stores like Kowalski's and Lakewinds, um, and then we were kind of discovered at a, a Kowalski's by a buyer from Super Target. So go Kowalskis. Yeah, <laughs> go exactly. Target, right. Great um, launching pad for local brands with, with those stores. Um, and we we launched in Super Target last May, just in the Midwest stores. So it was about 45 stores. And we moved from the frozen aisle to the refrigerated. And that was kind of a, a huge moment. We also lowered our price Uh, We were $12.99. We lowered it to $9.99. And I, you know, super excited about the launch. And I walked up to the product on the shelf, you know, saw it for the first time, and my heart just sank. (laughs) Like, because I had done my packaging you know, with a friend in my, you know, my neighborhood and, and she's a designer and they looked beautiful, um, just to describe the original packaging. It was sort of like a craft box so brown and looked homemade. Yes, exactly. Right. And it was homemade. <laughs> like, it was accurate. Um, and it had a die cut window in it and in the frozen aisle, it looked super cool. You know, you could see the bright colors, the tomatoes, the corn, like all the fresh ingredients. But in Fresh, that pouch of meal starter just sort of slumped and was brown and soggy and like not appetizing. Uh, And, you know, we designed the packaging to look nice on a computer, but we didn't think about the structure. Like, how's it going to sit on the shelf? How much space does it take up? Is it going to be a billboard that, you know, stands on the shelf upright, catches the light, holds the... Consumers' eye, all those things we we didn't really think through. So, yeah, I saw those boxes slumped there on the refrigerated deli like a pile of old newspapers. And I'm like, I have to start over because it's not going to work. And I knew instantly. Uh, So, I started reaching out to some local agencies uh, about doing new packaging design. And I ended up sending an email to uh, the team at Periscope, which they also have a, a, a little offshoot now called Favorite Child. Um, and I got a response back from uh, Katie Kelly Lamberg, who's now kind of leading that favorite child program. And she she called me and said, oh my gosh, I am so excited that you emailed. I bought your product at a demo years ago and I love it and I, you know, still buy it. So we're super excited you know to work on on this um and you could just tell like the care you know they really cared about my brand and my success and and you know wanting to help me kind of fix what i had <laughs>
0: done wrong as a smaller brand you know how did you most people feel like they can't afford an agency so how did you decide like okay how much is this going to cost sometimes i think agency fees are accrued so you don't always know. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh, I have this huge bill.
1: So they have a program and I think it just ended. I wish I could tell you to apply, but it was, it's called like in to celebrate their launch. It's called their reverse RFP. And so they put a call out to brands to write in and say, like, what makes your brand favorite. Like why would it, why would your brand be a favorite for the consumer? Why, you know, what are you putting out in the world? What good are you putting out in the world? And then they would select the winner to basically have donated agency time. What Um, I think that's what, yeah. So that's, I mean, a program where they're kind of spreading that around and, you know, you could be lucky like me. I think people
0: too, maybe should know about agencies that they make their money typically on big brands. And some of those big brands aren't very sexy. There may be things like automotive or oil or corn or things that don't give a lot of the designers and the creative people an opportunity to spread their wings. So a lot of agencies do the pro bono work or reduce fee work on boutique projects because it gives their creatives chance to spread their wings. So your idea of I'm just going to email these people sounds kind of crazy on the face of it, but it's not because a lot of them do like to take on custom projects. So they helped you redesign your packaging.
1: They helped with everything. So this is going to sound totally insane, but I had been selling a product in the market for like three years and I didn't really know what to call it. I I mean, just that kind of thinking where I was calling it, you know, enchilada filling and shepherd's pie mix. And I didn't even have like a formal language around my product and my brand. And You know what's my funny?
0: When you introduced your product, you did it differently this time than I've heard you in the past. And my brain went, Oh, you know, she's, what did you call it? Ready to make, I think was the word you I, used. meal starters, meal yeah, starter. That meal was starters. it. And yep. that word hearing you say that it did click in my brain, like, Oh, it felt different to me. So if that's coaching,
1: they gave you that's really great advice. Well, we, I mean, so they really helped me overhaul the entire thing. And their advice and their research is great. Like one of the best things about advice is it helps you clarify your own thinking. And for me, it, it certainly had that effect. But, you know, they started in the very beginning helping with research and how to differentiate my, my product, my category, because I I'm not making another salsa or a, a new kind of soup or something like that, that people understand, you know, I'm making sort of this meal starter category. Is it a meal kit? Is it like blue apron? Is it, you know, and I can, I would always get those questions. Is it a frozen meal? And so just having that language, where do we fall in the category and how does this work? Um, so the, the, the winning idea that differentiates, def, differentiates us is, smart and easy homestyle meals. And what flavors are you on right now? Because I noticed you've got a couple of new ones. Yeah, we have a couple new ones. So we've got our chicken enchilada meal starter, our skillet lasagna meal starter, shepherd's pie meal starter, uh, and the new flavors, we've got a Szechuan chicken and a classic gumbo. So, and those are, you know, super, super high flavor, um, all good quality ingredients. They're made locally in Minneapolis. When we started
0: talking originally, I remember your disappointment and also just vulnerability about your experience being on the target shelf and sales not going great right away. Have you been able to withstand that with the new packaging and have, are you still at Target and how has that relationship gone? And it sounds like they've kind of hung in there with you as you've gone through some of these growing pains. And have you seen more increased sales because of the new packaging?
1: Well, so our new packaging isn't quite out yet. It but takes it so long. Be- I know we're waiting for USDA approval right now. So <laughs> when we get that, we'll go to press. And But, you know, I, I'll say that Target like is amazing. I have to give a shout out to the buyer, uh, Morgan, who, you know, loved our product right away. She saw our product on the shelf kind of struggling and said right away, look, you know, I love your product. I love your brand, I believe in the category and what you're doing, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to keep you on the shelf and let you relaunch with new packaging, which is amazing. I mean, because you think of big companies as being so detached. Um, And the fact that they made that investment to like, hold on to my, my products and give me a chance to, to figure it out is amazing.
0: And in the meantime, have you been doing tons of sampling and trying to get the craft packaging to go?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I tried a couple of things. I put an insert in there to cover up the product. So you don't see the product. You see a photo photo of what the product would look like if it wasn't, you know, slumping in the, in the, in the pouch. Um, I have done IRCs, those instant redeemable coupons, which, um, supposedly they pretty much always work. They get, you know, stuck on there and then the customer sees, you know, Oh, $2 off and they can peel it off and and redeem it at the checkout, which like fun fact about those is they tend to increase your sales, but only 20% of consumers remember to, redeem them. And so you get the sales lift without actually always having to get the redemption. Um, So yeah, lots of those little tricks, but you know, like I I think about all of the levers that uh, food brands can sort of pull, you've got your product, your price, your promotion, and your placement. And I've just been sort of turning those knobs for the past four years, trying to figure out what what is the formula that works? And so everything has been sort of one little experiment and then we try and then we go ahead. But the greatest part about working with, uh, you know, the quad and Periscope and favorite child group is they did consumer research. And I just want to throw that out there because I know small brands don't think about it, but when you get your packaging printed, it's like $13,000 or more to like print your boxes and, or your pouches or whatever, that's a lot of money and you don't always know if it's going to work. So what quad and Periscope did is they have a, a, it's called packaging insights, I believe is the company.
0: And quad is quad graphics, correct? Yes. That is Periscope's printing arm.
1: Yep. That's their parent company. So they actually ran our designs through consumer research and they have a whole shop set up that simulates a grocery store consumers. We had 90 consumers walk through, they wore eye tracking goggles and we could tell like what they were looking at on the shelf, how long they looked at it, um, what they actually purchased in the end. How cool is that? (sighs) Like mind blown. So we know that my new packaging performed way better than the old one. I know that the new design that we we have people saw it in half the time. They looked at it for twice as long and they bought it two and a half times more than my old boxes. In fact, we were tied with the number one protein in the category in the testing for sales. So, I mean, like I'm going into this very fingers crossed, like but very very, you know, like guided now by legitimate research that shows this experiment that we're doing, you know, it's, it's worth printing the boxes because I know we're on the right track.
0: You have been at this for a long time and kind of ups and downs. How do you center yourself? Like during the bad times, during the good times, because you seem like you're very humbled, very vulnerable, very grateful that you're still (laughs) on this journey, but yet you probably want it to go somewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I find the process actually really fun. Like even the parts of it that have been painful and disappointing, like I can still look back on it and be like, gosh, it's so interesting. You know, it, like it's a puzzle to solve and I yeah. like that. Um the second thing is like I just quit sometimes. So like if I just have a bad email and I'm mad about it, I I quit. But I come back like tomorrow. Right. So I'm like, I quit. This stinks. And I just like walk my dog (laughs) and or I take a weekend and I don't do anything. And then I come back and I do it again. So uh, and then I think the biggest thing is that every single day, six o'clock comes again. And here I am having to make dinner for a family. And so I know that the problem I'm solving of helping people make a fresh meal, like I know it's a huge impact and it makes a big difference. And we help improve people's lives. And so I know I'm solving the right problem. I'm just not doing it right yet. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'll just keep, but I do, I mean, honestly, cause you said I've been at this a long time and I keep changing the price and where I am in the store and like now the packaging and the product. So, but I, it does sort of feeling like I'm on my sixth world guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like, <laughs> except have, like, I feel like you're on the
0: precipice of all something new though, too. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I have that data and like, just honestly, like I'll probably like live my whole life and never be able to pay forward the work that, that the team, the designers and the strategy people and the researchers did. And like, I'm getting like kind of like teared up because it like when you're a small brand and I know This is all of your list. Like so many of your listeners are going to relate to this, but you're just like, kind of like feeling around in a dark room for a light switch. And it's very lonely and it can be so stressful and hard. And just to have basically somebody like a whole team come in and take it over the difference between like trying to do it yourself and having real professionals is off the charts different, you know, like they had a structural engineer look at our packaging and make sure it stands up on the shelf. Like stuff like that that I didn't think about, yeah. using the right substrate, the right paper material so it catches the light and it doesn't get matte and dark under the store lighting. Things like that that I just didn't think about. So working from start to finish and end to end with one company like that made a huge difference in the quality. And then like the food photography, you know, like they had prop stylists and and an actual like Food stylist with an eyedropper. She's, you know, tweezing celery and 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 little cilantro sprigs around the plate. Eyedropper with juices. The quality of the image and the appetite appeal was just off the charts. Better than what I could have <laughs> clearly done myself. You know, even though it was, I was working with a professional photographer, but trying to cut my costs. You know, no. Yeah stylists, no, no props. I was like borrowing my mom's casserole dish for my photo shoots earlier.
0: Yeah. So I want people to hear you because here's what I do know about you. I know you're super kind and that you've been very generous in sharing your information. And I think you get verklempt because it is an emotional process and people hearing you gives them hope for their brands too, because I know sometimes it's a lonely road. It's been a lonely road, the Makers of Minnesota podcast. I mean, you know, I'm always like, oh, why am I still doing this? I don't make any money. It's basically a labor of love. But I also feel like it is what allows other brands to hear other people talk about their struggles and their journeys. And as an entrepreneur who is often alone in a dark room trying to find the light uh-huh. I feel like that's why I keep doing this and why you keep doing it. And someone will hear this and think, oh, I just can do it a little while longer. And, you know, I want the world to be full of good entrepreneurs and new, cool packaging and new, cool products and things that are made in our state. And I love the idea that these some of our smaller brands are marching into a bigger forum but it all starts with you know an idea and a mom at home or a dad who's got an idea for a barbecue sauce or you know I love that
1: yeah and I I'll just say like I have been listening to your podcast for like a long time and it was recommended to me by my sister in law Jenny from the general store of Minnetonka oh yes I love because Jenny. she knew. Yep, I was struggling with my entrepreneur journey, and she suggested I listen to you and Makers of Minnesota because I could learn something. And I started listening to you like from my computer, and I'd put it up in the kitchen while I was making dinner, like cutting mushrooms for a test batch. And I'd always walk away and be like, oh, co-op partners, like, you know, somebody mentioned that I I should write that down because I should, you know, that's one little breadcrumb that I can follow on this path. And so it, it helps and it gives people like me hope, like when we're, we aren't so alone because there are a lot of people doing it. yeah, And this is another way to connect through your podcast. I think too, we're
0: seeing a lot of new um, diverse makers and makers that maybe don't have as much support as frankly, some of us that are the white folks do. And I hope that they find the podcast too, because I think there is a lot to learn and even something as simple as like setting up at a festival and what you need to have and how you need to look. And, you know, I met a guy once who wouldn't sample because he didn't want to give away too much product. And I was like, dude, that's why you're here. You're here to introduce people to your product. And if you're just looking at this as a cost benefit ratio, you're not doing that right because you're introducing people to your brand and you're creating brand awareness. And that isn't something you can monetize, but they have no brand awareness. If they don't, can't taste your spice or can't smell right. your soap or whatever it is that you're making.
1: Well, and I, Just on that note, I mean, I started out, I did a hundred and or no, I did 250 demos myself the first year and a half before COVID kind of shut it down. My first year in business, 36% of my sales came from demoing. Yeah. I sold 2000 products like one by one. The next year, I think I sold like 20% or something like that on demo. So I, I was tracking it and I knew like I wasn't having to stand there as much in demo because people, once they knew about it, they were going on finding and buying more. And, and I think keeping track of that data for new companies that are starting up is huge, too.
0: Yeah. And it is to move from, you know, your home to farmer's market, from farmer's market to, let's say, co-op, from co-op to Kowalski's, from Kowalski's to a target to perhaps uh, Amazon is in there at some point. And I know a lot of people went to online sales during COVID, and some of them are pulling back now because just the costs of selling online are, are difficult. So I appreciate you being here with me today and all the makers that you help. And good luck on the new packaging. I will look for it. And I'm sure... A year from now, we'll do another podcast
1: and you can tell me all about how the new packaging went. <laughs> well, then I'll have the information, right? I'll know. Yes. And we're going into 52 Coborn stores in October as well. So that's exciting. So yeah. a big and fall we'll for Mostly Made. Thank you so much.
0: All right. And, and we'll talk soon, do. Jillian. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.